Welcome to the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. Hi, I'm Allie. And I am Boomer. And I know that you don't listen to this show for its high audio quality um, anyway, but uh, I, I want to apologize in advance if I end up clearing my throat on the mic a lot tonight. Uh, we've been tearing up the floors in our hallway and kitchen, and I think I inhaled some Katrina mold yesterday. Uh, oh, hopefully I can no. edit around that. That's vintage Katrina mold. Yeah, oh, yeah that's, that's vintage. Throwback mold. <laughs> also, um, I'm getting over cold, so this is just the not best uh, respiratory episode. And Boomer's trying out some new podcast equipment in his uh, condo. Yeah. So if you hear more or less echo than normal, or (laughs) if you play this backwards and you hear a really smashing recipe for summoning the devil, just bear in mind (laughs) that that's solely due to the equipment that I'm currently using and has nothing to do with whether or not I may or may not have a partial uh, summertime lease on my soul to someone else or something (laughs) else. Well, you don't listen to us for the audio quality. You listen to us for our excellent taste. I think that's what we have to offer to the world, (laughs) hopefully. What have y'all been watching lately? So I continued my Guy Madden dive again, my re-dive into Guy Madden. And I watched Careful, which I really enjoyed. And I'm still holding on to Guy Madden is an alien who just watched Golden Age Hollywood films and was like, I'll make one of those. He says he's a Canadian, but it does feel like he's hiding something. Right? Right? Yeah, it was really good. You know, it's typical Guy Madden style of, was this made last year or, you know, in the 1950s? But at the same time, there's so many taboo subjects and, you know, it gets really... Oedipal, like, outright. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Do you have, like, a personal canon of, like, his best stuff? Because I've seen a few standouts, but I, I feel like I don't have a handle on him. I mean, still. my Winnipeg is always my favorite, but I think the saddest music in the world is really good, too. That's the best one I've seen. Yeah. I, I need to see my Winnipeg. I always hear that one's great. Oh, it's so good. I watched this documentary about the 1976 winter olympics called white rock which was also kind of weird and bizarre because it's mostly just the soundtrack of you know the keyboardist from yes going wild and like first person video of people going down ski slopes and bobsled rides so you know it's it's kind of fun and bizarre in that way and in between, there's just, um, oh, what's his name? Gosh. Anyway, there's like an older actor who played um, the Texan in Charade. He's like in the middle, just giving us an update on how the Olympic Games work and what sports have these rules and what's the number one, you know, top sport and just making like ridiculous comments like they jump for joy not for their country and it's <laughs> it's just wild i also recommend that sorry i just i had a criterion week while i was sick the internet is telling me that his name is james coburn yes james looks coburn. like he stars in a lot of westerns yes yes and he sounds like it <laughs> so it's just like perfect because you have this like tv cowboy in between footage of these Austrians 
bobsledding and playing hockey. And also they like strap him into a bobsled and like dress him up as a goalie and shoot some goals at him. It's wild. The bobsledding and the skiing sounds um, very cinematic in the same way that like skateboarding videos always yes. are. Yes. Just that like kind of gliding. Yes, it is. It's like a skateboarding movie, but the Winter Olympics for sure. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. I really had a lot more fun with that one than I thought I would. Also, I watched this movie, um, Ariel by Aki Karusmaki. Yeah, sorry. I asked my husband how to pronounce that name because he's like learning Finnish. And it was great. It really reminded me of Down by Law in a lot of ways. It's just so dryly funny for a movie about some guy whose life basically is just gone all to hell, so he just becomes a criminal. It is really funny. Yeah, and it's so, like, the color palette is so gray and just dismal that, you know, you don't expect it to be so visually striking, but it is. I feel like it should be more iconic than it is, but I guess because it's Finnish and nobody's like, you know what? Finnish independent cinema from the 90s. That's what I want to see. I don't know. We just did one of his movies for uh, Movie of the Month. Yeah, y'all were talking Match about that. Match Factory Girl. Yeah. And then I watched a bunch of Karazmaki movies that month, and they were all consistently great in the exact same way you're explaining. Like, there are these like, working class people who sometimes do awful things, sometimes do desperate things, um, but the movie um, is just kind of mildly funny yeah. and oddly beautiful like an old polaroid and yeah they all feel kind of the same they're like just consistently great <laughs> and uh i kind of i burnt out after like about four of them because i didn't want to like feel like oh this guy just does the same thing over and over again but i always left them being like that was a great movie i enjoyed that i really like movies with that sort of tone i don't, I don't know what it is but it kind of feels like in some ways the more grounded like soul sibling of like parasite you know <laughs> like that kind mm-hmm. of movie and everybody loves parasite so except for my one friend who i'm not gonna shame too much for it but she's wrong she's a nice person otherwise uh yeah so that sums up my watching from the last week or so i mean other than continuing watching the x-files but <laughs> oh yeah. me too so i just finished season three which means that i have a, a favorite episode now which is yes. Jose Chung's From Outer Space, because I love Charles Nelson Riley, and also that episode is delightful. Yes. Speaking of Charles Nelson Riley, I have been watching a lot of the match game on YouTube because I love it so <laughs> much. It comes up here almost as much as Star Trek, I know, but um, I still found time to watch some movies. I, I, I mentioned off mic after we finished recording last time that I had rewatched the return to oz the day after my birthday and had forgotten to mention it um and so i do want to go ahead and once again reiterate my praise of return to oz from 1986 it's absolutely delightful it is dark and freaky and scary and i think fits into some of our previous discussions that we were having about the secret of nim and the sort of lack of a fear factor in media made for children throughout the 90s and early 2000s that Return to Oz, like Secret of Nim, like The NeverEnding Story, is not afraid to 
allow children to confront fear in a somewhat safe environment where, you know, they can experience that anxiety and then go back to their regular life. And I also wanted to point out how much I love TikTok. Um, not the app, not the song by Kesha, <laughs> but TikTok, the one man Royal Army of Oz. I think he's just the most adorable thing in the world. I think we should also point out that it fits in this uh, movie of the month theme that we're currently living in. It's a chicken movie. There's a chicken in it. Oh, my <laughs> God, you're right. There's a very plot-relevant chicken in it. There uh, is. <laughs> who, you know, if we're being honest, she has the biggest narrative arc, right? Because she wants to lay an egg, and she can't lay an egg. And then she does. Whereas Dorothy, as much as you know, we all love Dorothy Gale, you know, we're all, <laughs> we're all friends of Dorothy. <laughs> we're here. all friends um, of Dorothy here. <laughs> but she does not really grow or change at all over the course of Return to Oz the way that she does in The Wizard of Oz. She is she begins the movie as a very loving, kind, wonderful, golden hearted girl and ends the film the same way. At no point does she get impatient with Jack Pumpkinhead whenever he's like, will you be my mother? At no point does she criticize the gump for um, its gumpiness. She <laughs> even seems to like want to pre- you know, present uh, kindness to the Gnome King and Mombi the Witch, both of whom wish her serious harm. So... Return to Oz, great movie, admittedly is a chicken movie, and the chicken has the biggest narrative arc. <laughs> I love that the chicken feels like it's from a kid's movie, where everything else feels like a total fucking nightmare that you should probably shield your children from. <laughs> the yeah. chicken's holding it down. Yeah. I remember a couple years back, Brandon, you recommended to me, because of my love for Knives Out, that I check out Logan Lucky, and I finally did. I did enjoy it. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say about it that probably hasn't already been said, but it is currently on Netflix, at least in some regions, because that's where I watched it. Was that a Daniel Craig related recommendation? Because I can't. (laughs) It was, because I was talking about how much I enjoyed his foghorn leghorn accent in (laughs) Knives Out. Oh my gosh, yes. And you were like, oh, if you really want to see him do a Southern accent, do Logan Lucky, which which was a, you know, a, a, a good recommendation. I'm also fond of Channing Tatum. And I really enjoyed Katie Holmes. I think she was my favorite part about Logan Lucky, even though her part in it is pretty minimal. She kind of seems like that's the character from that she played in Disturbing Behavior uh, all grown up. <laughs> I also watched New Mutants for the first time. I watched that. Yeah, I remember you having a pretty positive opinion of it. It was okay. <laughs> Which for New Mutants is an extremely positive, like hot take. <laughs> yeah, for a I thought movie, it was fine. <laughs> for a movie whose production was seemingly cursed, like actually <laughs> cursed, it turned out to be pretty all right. I actually would even say that I thought it was good. Hell yeah! <laughs> I love the New Mutants in the comics. Danny Moonstar is one of my top five favorite X Men, although. I'm not sure she's ever actually officially been a member of the X-Men rather than being a teacher or, you know, at one time a student. But I love Danny Moonstar. I thought that this movie was fun. I thought that it was good. I thought that uh, everybody was pretty well cast. I could have done without some of the racism from magic. But, you know, uh, so it goes. I think that it was pretty... mm, 
it's demonstrative of her character, but I can see why there might have been some desires to reshoot. Uh, as someone who knows the comics, this movie still managed to be like full of twists and surprises, you know, about who has what alliance and what they actually want. I mean, they never did have Cannonball talk about how he's nigh and vulnerable when he's blasting, but. Uh, and you can tell what was reshot and what wasn't because of how much a character's accent might change between scenes. But I would still give it a recommendation, especially because it kind of sits right in the middle, right? There's some good X-Men movies and some really, really bad ones. And this sits right in the middle where it's not bad, but it's not great either. It's no X2, but it's also, you know, it's right around... The Wolverine, not Wolverine Origins, the Wolverine, the one where he goes to Japan. I'd say it's I'd say it's on par with that. So like the Wolverine, I enjoyed that it had a sort of climax slash finale in which the uh, consequences were pretty small and personal. You know, it's not like the world is going to end if they don't get out of this hospital, but the consequences are important to them you know they're personal but i enjoy that it doesn't always have to be a blue space laser i would prefer that it be a blue space laser much less uh frequently you know what really like clued me into what makes that movie enjoyable was the fact that they're always watching buffy on the background and that and they're like common yes. television I was like, okay, so I kind of get the age range they're aiming this towards, and like they kind of adjusted my expectations of like its horror stuff. Yeah, and it, they're specifically watching the body, which is the scene where Willow and Tara have their or the episode in which Willow and Tara kiss for the first time, which gives you sort of a hint about where the narrative is going with Rain and Danny, and also at one point they are watching Hush, which the sort of smiley-faced demons that represent magic's um, deepest fears look a lot like the men in Hush, that episode with the where everybody loses their voices. I gotta say, uh, my Buffy um, knowledge is about as shallow as my Star Trek knowledge, <laughs> so I don't know if I can uh, back you up on that, uh, but I believe you. Well, <laughs> I, I I I will cite my sources, but thank you for not making me. Um, and then I saw uh, a movie that is currently on Netflix, made in 2017. Does the name Noelle Wells mean anything to either of you? Yeah, I like her. She was on SNL, right? Yeah, she was on one one season of SNL, and she is like a stranger to me. The only thing that I recognized her from is she is in the uh, the girls sketch that they do when Tina Fey is hosting, where Tina Fey is like a woman from the old country who is just, you know, not having any fun with the the girls as girlsness from HBO's Girls. Although I did, after <laughs> after watching the movie, look her up and learn that she does voice one of the four main characters in Star Trek Lower Decks. She plays the Orion Lieutenant, which I was not ding, aware ding. of. Yeah. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. I, I don't even... This is how deep knowledge that is. I don't even know what that is, so... <laughs> we'll, t- we'll talk later, but... Okay, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> um, she made a... She produced, directed, and starred in a film in 2017 called Mr. Roosevelt, 
which apparently had its release at South by and was set and filmed here in Austin. So the plot is that she is, you know, a comedian in LA who has a moderate YouTube following, but is having a lot of trouble parlaying that into a legitimate career while she does like advertising copy for a dick boss. And she gets a message from her ex-boyfriend who is still living in Austin that their cat has gotten sick. She flies out to Austin, gets there, uh, and upon arrival learns that the cat has actually died. So it has a lot of, um, I don't know if you, either of you ever saw the Charlize Theron movie, uh, Young Adult. I love that movie. Oh, it's good. This has a lot of young adult energy. It's very similar. As in it's dark as fuck? <laughs> as in uh, it's a woman who uh, goes back to where she used to live and has a lot of ideas about how things should be, how people should respond to her return, how people should feel about how long she's been gone, how they should treat her based on her personal like success, her modicum of success that she's experienced in her life. So it's not as bleak. It's a little bit uh, sillier and it's a little more fun, but it does get dark at points. And it, it really, it really captures Austin culture. At one point she is down at the green belt, which is a sort of outdoor space in Austin. It's, it's the green belt trail. It's like a, a part of it has a stream that goes through it, but she is there after having reunited with an old friend of hers who asks her to go. And then everybody smokes a little weed and all the ladies get topless and they're like, no, no, it's okay. You know, it's legal to be topless in Austin, but you know, she refrains and then she befriends, um, refrains for a bit and then gives in. But then she meets just the most, Austin man that you could possibly imagine. Like she meets and hooks up with this guy and he's just like every Austin hipster. He drives an old pickup truck. He's got a bunch of real dumb stick and pokes, you know, one of them on an ass cheek, one of them on a pectoral, one of them on his like, you know, lower, (laughs) lower like side torso. I mean, it really, it really brought some things home for me, but (laughs) <laughs> I also really loved being able to be like, oh, I know where that place is. or Oh, I know where that place is. Because the woman that she befriends who sort of gives her an escape from having to constantly be with her ex and her ex's new girlfriend, who is, you know, also a very typical Austin young, upwardly mobile professional woman. She's like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And she's invented some app that does some nonsense. And, you know, so... Uh, Noel Wells's character has an escape from her by going to like a friend's house and it's right across the street from flight path coffee, which is just right over there on Duval street. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And at one point she's riding her bike from what appears to be her ex's place, which is across the street from a pinata shop. And all of those are on uh West sixth. And that's, I, I, I'm not kidding. Like if you search for, no, I'm sorry. Uh, East sixth. If you search for Pinata Shop Austin, there's like four of them all within three <laughs> blocks of each other on East 6th. So I was like, oh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that this brought this home for me. Um, as far as the plot of the movie itself, it's pretty good. It has that young adult energy, like I said, with a little bit more comedy and a little less nuance. I kind of think of her as being cute. Like her stuff is, I don't want to say safe, but just kind of like 
primly soft yeah. in a way that's kind of self-deprecating. Like she, she does a pretty funny Zoe Deschanel impersonation. I think part of that is like her making fun of herself for being a little twee. So I don't know that young adult comparison just really threw me off. I was like, what? I cannot picture her going that cruel. It's not about, it's not so much the cruelty as it is just sort of the casual ignorance. So got it, uh, got it. it's called Mr. Roosevelt, which is the name of the cat. It's currently on Netflix. I don't know for how much longer, but I would give that one a, a recommendation. And then finally, I watched our upcoming movie of the month, Starstruck. And I want to talk about it for the next four hours. <laughs> I had the uh, gall to make you watch a musical. I know. And you know what? I didn't care for it. <laughs> but then, but now I can't stop thinking about it. I was charmed by it in spite of myself. I mean, once the, once the swap chat, swamp chat gets published at the beginning of next month, since it's July's movie of the month, you know, I kind of get into how I felt on a, almost a live basis while watching the movie where I was like, Oh no, I do not like this. And then, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is cute. And Oh, I'm charmed by this in spite of myself. And then, Oh no. <laughs> and then like, Oh, Oh no. And then, ugh. Is this is this just a Caswell music video? Is this just Ice Cream Truck? And then the love ballad. And then, you know, evening out and just being like, yeah, you know what? I uh, I enjoyed that experience. But I had so many notes that I could not include in my discussion because it was already going on so long. I want to talk about how much I liked Ross Donovan. Is that Agnes? Angus, I mean? Angus. His name is Angus. You know it's Angus. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and also, I I think it has a real DIY um, sense about it. Because, you know, it opens just with the opening credits. There's no, there's not a moment of like a, a, a studio name or like a distributor name. It's just, boom, here it is. It's starstruck. And then it, it opens from there on our characters but we have angus whose face is out of frame on the phone with his just a little bit older cousin and you don't know either of them yet you don't know their names it's hard to differentiate their voices or even what they're saying and it kind of creates this like sense of confusion that i think propels you through the rest of the film because at that point you're like oh i'm i'm kind of up for anything at this point the kangaroo costume, <laughs> the cockatiel. Okay, Brandon, I want to ask you, who is Jackie's father? Is it Reg? I, now, I might be a little off about this because, I mean, I'm not going to say the uh, familial connections was the most important part of this movie for me, but I believe that Jackie's father is the cockatoo's owner who had some kind of head injury okay, um, and has a metal plate in his head and sort of wanders around the house and whose wife is openly cheating on him with his brother. With his own be, brother, because they're yeah, both Angus's Nana's father. sons. Okay, that is what I thought, but at po- that was only what I realized upon my rewatch, because yes, I did rewatch it, all right? I had to, I had to get Hell the yeah. time codes <laughs> for when the songs were, so that I could properly talk about which ones were good and which ones were bad. I made you watch a musical twice, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> But whenever it was just playing the family stuff, I let it play because I really enjoyed that. I liked that his, you know, <laughs> that Angus's father is <laughs> at first when he's talking, when they're talking about them, it sounds like they're both dead. But no, it turns out one of them is just off picking fruit, which I guess is some sort of, 
euphemism maybe for like being maybe in a mental institution or even a prison based on the fact that his father is a thief and his mother isn't dead either. She's just become a nun. And that backstory, I enjoyed that even though I could not figure out who was related to whom. Although I will point out, and this is what I wanted to to tease earlier is Mrs. Booth, who is their boarder, is an actress that you might recognize from a great science fiction franchise. That's right. She plays Naranti on 1999's <laughs> Farscape. Um, I was like, she, that voice is familiar. And when I saw her name in the credits, I was like, oh, it's Melissa Chaffer. And of course you go to IMDb and she's one of maybe five people in this movie who has a photo on her IMDb <laughs> profile. Right. I tried to figure out, you know, Ross, Ross uh, O'Donovan only did a couple of other movies and there is another person named ross donovan or ross o'donovan has the same name who was born in 1987 who is also australian but who is a youtuber which makes it completely impossible to find any information about this actor because <laughs> uh, i was kind of curious what he did later in life because he's young in this but he's giving a really great performance for a child actor i, I think that in my opinion he kind of stole the show but I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the goofy dancing during the body and soul number where it's just like elbows up and then like up and down, up and down elbows. Right. I can tell that this movie is styled after Rocky horror and a lot of the dance moves. Yes. They share a production designer um, and it is like around the same time, but a lot of the choreography is very time warp. Like this sort of like mechanical back and forth movements. It's goofy, but it's it works. I would also say, what is Jackie's first song that she sings at the club that I told you I hated? Temper, temper, and it's fantastic. Temper, it temper, Lena Lovick. <laughs> temper, temper to me sounds like uh, parts of Time Warp. Oh yeah, for sure, and that's the scene where the production design really looks like Rocky Horror. All those like neon lights and that like retro fifties sci fi kind of aesthetic. They're like really hammering at home that connection there. Yeah, and that dress that she wears, she looks like pebbles. <laughs> I also uh, thought it was really funny that the um, lead singer from The Swingers only appears at the very beginning and at the very end because he is much more <laughs> he's much more handsome than the person who is playing the. Um, the love interest who I guess is like a, supposed to be him fictionally because they're in the movie called the swingers. Right. But the swingers is also like a real band down there in that hemisphere. And then <laughs> the, the lead singer of the swingers sings the gimme gimme song and then completely disappears from the narrative only to reappear at the end when they do the, the starstruck number. Right. And so, given that he's so much better looking than the lead, I have to wonder why they didn't cast him. And I think it's possibly because he was like 30. And even though um, Joe Kennedy is clearly not 18, the character is supposed to be. So I guess maybe it just would have been too weird. But I I like that he shows up at the beginning and the end. Um, and otherwise, you just got Robbie, who's there to, to be around and, and kind of mostly be annoying until she decides that she's fine with it yeah he's just like sad boying her from the sidelines the whole time he's a nice guy yeah it also <laughs> makes me wonder if the lead singer from 
the swingers simply did not want to do all of the weird dance choreography that occurs in this film. Like, I don't know how seriously they took themselves as musicians because he seems pretty serious, but there are a couple of other guys from the band who are in the band in the movie who seem to have no trouble doing the little, (laughs) my own litter box uh, dance move, which I know is one of your favorites, Brandon. Oh yeah. The, I want to live in the house with my own litter box and they sort of like kind of scoop their poop from yeah. the litter box like low to the ground and like crawl across the floor oh my god i was i love that song so much fascinated by that musical number <laughs> fascinated by it i thought the song was terrible uh not as bad I disagree. not as bad as temper temper sorry but those are the best two songs in the movie oh it's it's gotta be body and soul and i also love the okay so body and soul was written by another band not the swingers but the split ends and i do love that within even in the movie because the you know lead singer of the split ends is a man and he's singing about a woman you know i'm lost without her right but in the movie because it's jackie singing it she's like i'm lost without him but then at one point she and robbie are kind of singing together so they have this like i'm lost without him, you know where they're like both they're not really doing like a pronoun it's like i'm lost without <laughs> and i love how slurry Actually, and like, amateur it seems goals. and i love it gender goals right? just th- yeah. that pronoun <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't okay okay i'm gonna give my real quick i'm gonna give my ranking number one body and soul number two starstruck number three I'm going to have to give it to Gimme Gimme, uh, Gimme Love, even though I don't like the lyrics in that one either. I think that those lyrics are dumb too. And then I'm going to say Monkey and Me. That's a fun song. Oh my God. Those lyrics. It's just like the lyrics are so simplistic that they're like, they're very much like traditional music, musical lyrics because they don't mean anything, right? They're just I don't know. I think they're more like a B-52s song or something. It's very like pop art. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna say I want to live in a house, and then my my lowest is going to be um, I'm gonna say then temper temper, and then under that the muscle song, whatever the hell that was. Oh God, you're and, breaking my heart here. <laughs> and then the very worst one was the love ballad. Although I think you probably you would agree on that. Slowly ripping my heart in half. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm saying that I enjoyed it. I'm saying that I loved it. I just. <laughs> Here's the thing about Starstruck. It is a perfect movie with no faults, and every song is great. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the two that are supposed to be bad, on purpose. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wait, which ones are the two that are supposed to be bad? Because there's the one where she gives the terrible performance on TV. That one I recognize. That's one in the schmaltzy, um, you know, getting back together in the diner song. I don't think it's supposed to be particularly great. I think they're just trying to, like, nod to, like, this is a musical. Because, you know... This could be a movie that cheats and is like, it is like a new wave musical in particular. It's got a lot of Cyndi Lauper-isms about it, which we talked about a lot in that discussion. It could cheat and just have these new wave bands from Australia play songs that have nothing to do with the plot or anything and just call it a musical. But they do drive the plot and they they do make motions towards like integrating the two. So it's not just like a, a movie that happens to have songs in it. Right. So I feel like that diner song, it is schmaltzy and not great, but it's kind of necessary to like nod to the fact that they're doing like a traditional musical setup. Well, I'm just glad that I knew you would agree with me that it's the worst one. 
It's pretty bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's a good song. I will say "Tough" is a great song, and I love that whole Busby Berkeley thing with all the muscle boys in the pool. I mean, find that beautiful. It goes on for forever. Not long enough. It's the longest <laughs> song in the half, movie. Please. It's like five <laughs> minutes long. It's which is five minutes longer than I want it to be, and two minutes longer than it has any right to be. It go- oh my god! It went on. Uh, I did not rewatch that one. I did not rewatch her live <laughs> performance. I did not rewatch that. And whenever she got to the diner moment, I literally had forgotten that that song existed. It was so bad. It was like it was like Secret of Nim, you know. Which every time I watch oh, it, song. I forget that it has a song like a, a schmaltzy song in it. I'm like, oh, right. But yeah, um, I, I could go on talking about Starstruck for another hour, but I, we have other stuff to get onto. So, Brandon, what have you been watching? Um, I watched a 1980s musical uh, that was new wave themed. <laughs> It was not Starstruck. (laughs) What was it? So the thing I love about Starstruck, it really feels like my ideal musical because all the musical numbers are basically like early MTV choreography and set design and stuff like that. So like when it breaks from reality, it goes to like 1980s music video aesthetic, which I understand inherently more than musical theater. It just like speaks to me. I found another movie that does the same thing, but even harder. <laughs> uh, it's called Voyage of the Rock Aliens from 1984. Uh, it's currently on Amazon Prime. It is short. It has no plot whatsoever. It is just a string of music videos. Um, not in like that modern sense, like Lemonade or Dirty Computer or something like that. It's Or Oblivion. Oh, I don't know that one. What's that? Oh, it was, it's a Tom Cruise movie that's just one long M83 movie, and uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that movie as well. I, I didn't. I thought you were referring to some like pop album I, I was not aware of. <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. So in this one, these rock aliens are combing outer space for rock and roll music in their guitar-shaped spaceship, and they all dress like members of Devo, and they play this like futuristic version of rock, which is basically just early Devo, you know, shtick. Um, and they crash land on Earth, where they find that rock and roll is very much alive. And it's done in this, like, 50s, like, Frankie and Annette kind of, like, Elvis teen musical style. And the two camps, you know, sort of wage a battle of the bands, the, like, Devo rock aliens and the Earth, you know, throwback 1950s rock. Um, it's really fun because it is only music videos, like... Anytime they start to have like in character dialogue between the scenes, you can almost sense them tapping their foot like impatiently, waiting for the next song to start, and just rolls right into another music video sequence. Pia Zadora is the main like actress in the film, and really probably top build, and she has her own costume designer separate from the rest of the cast, and wears I want to say a thousand outfits in the film. Like every other shot, she's wearing a new outrageous getup. And she is cute as a button in every single thing she models. Um, even like the most horrifically corny outfits she's just pulling off in this movie. Just really fun kitsch. I would not recommend it to Boomer <laughs> for, for a lot of the Thank reasons you. that Starstruck did not work for you. Uh, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I was charmed by it in spite of myself. But like yeah. I said, I... That doesn't mean that I'm not going to say that it has its uh, flaws, even though I know that, <laughs> based on your response, that it is flawless and you have no notes. Um, <laughs> I just had notes, is all. I, I was charmed in spite of myself, but I had notes. 
I think Voyage of the Rock Aliens takes all the things you hate about Starstruck and brings them to the forefront without the stuff that would charm you. <laughs> um, but I, I really enjoy that like idea that you know music videos came out in the 80s and they were like, how do we turn this into a, a musical, like something more traditional that we understand? Talking about like sort of the old fogies uh, who greenlight movies in the first place because it costs a lot of money. And you know this one even includes like a Jermaine Jackson music video at the start, um, even though he is not in the movie. Like for the opening three minutes, he's chumming it up with Piazzadora in a like dream sequence, I guess, that just sort of has no connection to the plot whatsoever. Um, I, I just like that MTV musical aesthetic. I didn't know it existed, and I'm kind of on board with it now. I also watched one from this year. That I liked. I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it to either of y'all specifically, but I'm bringing these up to come to a point later on how they're connected. Uh, I watched Willy's Wonderland, which is the new Nicolas Cage movie. I have been uh, wanting to see that, but purely from a Nicolas Cage fan standpoint. It's kind of fascinating as like a stunt film for him. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm shamelessly like on that Nicolas Cage train. Me too. I make no excuses for myself, but I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> I feel like what people look for him are like stunts, like, you know, counting off the alphabet angrily in um, yeah. Vampire's <laughs> Kiss Vampire's or Kiss. I, I believe yes. smashing a uh, pool table while singing We're the, singing hokey, the pokey. hokey Pokey in Mom and Dad. Yeah. Mom yes. and Dad, yeah. And I think the weirdest part of that scene um, to talk about that mom and dad for a second is that was before the parents go crazy yeah (laughs) that's just him being an asshole yeah (laughs) in willie's wonderland you know it sounds like a nick cage stunt in general like it is him fighting animatronic knockoff chuck e cheese robots in like a closed down chuck e cheese type establishment like a birthday pizza party place by himself overnight these like animatronic creatures are blood hungry. Sounds like they wanted to make a Friday, Five Night at Freddy's movie, but couldn't get the rights or something. Right. I don't know that actually. What is that? It's a game about you're like a night guard or janitor or something at a sort of like it's a horror game about being that basically at a uh, Chuck E. Cheese type place. Freddy's okay, that is exactly yeah. what this is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they they just went with an unlicensed version. Yeah. And I watched a movie last year um, called the Banana Splits movie that was like almost the same plot as well. The real stunt, though, is not him killing the robots. It's the fact that he does not speak a single word of dialogue in this entire movie. <gasps> wow. And I'm not exaggerating. He has no lines and is on the screen a lot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which for him is like a weird kind of restraint. Like you want him yelling and screaming um, and reciting nursery rhymes. And the point of the movie kind of is that he's withholding that and still magnetic to watch. So kind of impressive on that front. I mean, he's like, people say he's a bad actor, but I feel like he's going to have like, you know how we've had the Keanu Renaissance. I feel like people are going to wake up and be like, Oh, actually even in those films that are terrible, he's still a pretty good actor. If it didn't happen with Mandy, I don't know when it's going to happen. I know, right? That, that was like the height of the art of the Nick Cage stunt film. <sighs> so good. But I, like I said, I make no excuses for my Nick Cage fanning. I, I enjoyed this a great deal for that, like for the novelty of him. There's other elements of the film that don't work as well. Like the thing I really liked about him fighting the robots is that the movie doesn't really point out how funny it is. 
Like it, it kind of just lets the premise play out and it's just sort of inherently funny because it's a novelty. But then you have these like teenage characters that come in and are very like wisecracky and like get a load of how weird the situation is. And that's where it kind of like goes flat a little bit. But he's great in it. And if you're a Nick Cage fan, you have sat through worst films looking for that novelty than this. Like I, I find this one kind of fun. And it's on Hulu now. Did either of you ever see um, the one where he and Nicole Kidman are married and they have a home invasion? Love that one. Trespass? Trespass. Are you cartooning me? Oh, Allie, it's so good. <laughs> Sounds it's the two really of them good. Out overact each other on top of each other, like constantly throughout that movie. It's me, fantastic. Nicole Kidman's also amazing. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like her actor's secret is that she knows she's Nicole Kidman. And then she's in a movie with a crazy person. <laughs> that kind of seems like that's what her actor's secret is in this. Yeah, it's a fun, trashy one. There's some uh, great nail gun gore in the uh, third act as well. Oh, nice. Yes. Also horrifying. <laughs> but the reason I brought up these two movies um, and the way that they're related is the casting in the small town sheriffs in both movies had a weird connection that I did not expect. So the small town sheriff in... Voyage of the Rock Aliens is played by Ruth Gordon. <laughs> and then the small town sheriff in Willy's Wonderland is played by Beth Grant. Very odd choice in both cases and kind of the same choice just across time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found that very yeah. uh, amusing. This next piece of information I'm about to share with you about Godzilla versus Hedera is unlikely to surprise you. It was not nominated for even a single Oscar. I know. It was prominently included in a 1977 book called The 50 Worst Movies of All Time. Truth is, even the studio that produced all the Godzilla films was disappointed by Godzilla vs. Hedera. Godzilla had become a kids franchise by this point, and one message movies didn't need to be delivering to kids, even subtly, at least in the studio's opinion, was that pollution is killing us. Because today we know that's just crazy propaganda from 97% of the world's scientists. I wanted to talk about Godzilla on this show because this year I have had Godzilla as my go-to. Like when I don't know what to watch, I keep going back to Godzilla films on Criterion Channel and HBO because there's just like a ton of like gorgeous restorations of all these movies that have been like fuzzy VHS quality my entire life. I specifically wanted to talk about Godzilla vs. Hedera from 1971, also known as Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, if you saw its like AIP distributed American release. Because it is one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Godzilla or no, like this is like really top tier for me. And part of that is because it was just available to me at the right time in my life. You know, once upon a time, it was very expensive to watch new movies in the theaters for me. It was cheapest to see new movies by going to Blockbuster's four for $20 liquidation tables yeah. and buying like four mm-hmm. or five DVDs at a time. That was like my cheapest way to access media. And the wild thing around those years was just like how random and just sort of arbitrary the content at my fingertips happened to be. Like, I picked up a not great transfer of Godzilla vs. Hedera that was probably printed in, like, the mid-2000s 
from those tables and it just exceeded everything I expected from Godzilla movies and um, just sort of really stuck with me. And it was just singled out for that reason. Like right now you could watch dozens and dozens and dozens of Godzilla films on Criterion or HBO and they're not singled out. Like there's no curation to it. It's just like all available. So it's like really overwhelming. So I think I thought this would be a good end for us to discuss Godzilla in general and discuss how awesome this very specific Godzilla film is. It's an early seventies movie. It is very political in like a hippie sort of way. It is advocating for how pollution is terrible for the planet and going to kill us all, which, you know, we can still support that thesis today. The film opens with this like James Bond theme music yeah. um, set against a psychedelic background where there's just pollution and just muck and just garbage polluting up the ocean. And there's just like mannequins sort of stuck in the sludge to sort of represent how we're all drowning in the stuff, I guess. There's also a clock to rec- represent how time is running out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's surrealist but also like very obvious. I was going to say stuff. it's like, it's, it's on the, the nose but also super weird. Which I don't think subtlety needs to be in these films. Like I don't think that's oh, an issue yeah, especially no. around this era because this is like when Godzilla was four children. One of the first scenes with like human beings in it, there's a young boy playing with a Godzilla toy on a slide and he pronounces Godzilla is a Superman, which I think just means is a superhero in translation. So he calls on Godzilla to come fight this pollution, which has morphed into this um, giant, constantly evolving, worsening monster named Hedera, who um, loves pollution, loves soaking it up and gets bigger every time he like goes to the smokestacks and eats up the uh, smog coming out of the city and slings around like this, like skin burning acid on everyone and just like sludges up Tokyo and, um, you know, by the end of the film, the two of them duke it out in this sort of, like, rubber monsters wrestling style. Um, especially, like, Godzilla has become just a pro wrestling character in the film, where you're supposed to, like, sort of cheer him on as he does his, like, put him up, put him up, like, boxing motions. Um, all that's great. What's really special about this movie is just how psychedelic it is. It feels like a prototype for what would be done later in Haosu, um in the mid-70s. A lot of the like psychedelic, colorful animation and like collage style is very specific to this film. Like I feel like it is a Godzilla movie with its own sort of like stamp to it, style-wise. Um, and if you have any affection for Houseu's sort of like scatterbrained psychedelia, uh, this movie is sort of the middle ground for like a kaiju movie that touches on that stuff, while also still being like a silly rubber monster suit thing, and also. You know, a political advocacy movie the same way Godzilla started out as. Like, it was like an anti-nuclear war bummer of a film, the original. This is a lot sillier and for children, but it still has a political message to it. Not a very subtle one, but it is an anti-pollution film. What did y'all think of Godzilla vs. Hedera? Am I I over-praising it as one of the greatest films of all time? Or uh, does it hold up to that standard? For me, no, you are not overpraising it at all. It is amazing. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I loved this movie like Hedera loved smoking that factory yes, smokestack. Yes, like exactly. <laughs> bonging it up. I loved this movie. <laughs> and, you know, you you mentioned Haosu, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's my stuff. Like, that's one of my favorite movies ever. So, yeah, the idea of that plus 
you know, shameless, eco-friendly, you know, propaganda is like, oh, yeah, that's my stuff. And Giant Monster? Mm-hmm. All of it. <laughs> so good. How does this square with your general Godzilla appreciation? Like, I don't know how much Godzilla movies y'all normally watch versus, like, how this one ranks among them. So, Godzilla is something that I watched a lot as a child. All of the Godzillas, like the old Godzilla versus King Kong, you know, the old, like, all of the old kaiju movies I watched a lot as a child. And it's interesting because, like you said, typically for me, a Godzilla movie definitely has that, like, somber tone and that very much like, oh no, everything is going to get destroyed. But I think this is, like, perfect for this. Like... I don't think you need to somber down ecological disaster, you know? It's pretty bad. Also, just, it's too wonderful to critique as, like, a proper Godzilla movie or anything, you know? I think the idea of each Godzilla movie having its own thumbprint is just so good. I mean, you compare something like Shin Godzilla to, like, old Godzilla... And it's similar, like, in its themes and stuff, but it still has its own thumbprint. Like, I think every era and all of that needs its own sort of Godzilla movie in a way. That's my holy trinity is this movie, Shin Godzilla, and the original. Those are, like, my three favorites that I've seen. Oh, I'm not yeah. going to claim I've seen all of them because there's so many. There's so many. But My Godzilla knowledge is more limited. I remember shortly after we first got the satellite when i was young my dad watched a lot of the godzilla movies and i remember enjoying them i don't know if it was a marathon or if it was like an ongoing thing for a while there but they i was so young that i mostly remember like my dad watching it and i was like drawing or coloring right like that's about the age that i was and i mostly remember like mecha godzilla and like godzilla jr or whatever whatever (laughs) godzilla and I think recently, uh, just within the past um, year during quarantine, I realized that with my antenna, I pick up a UHF or a digital version of a UHF channel, which is called Comet. And Comet every morning at 10 a.m. shows a movie. And for a few weeks, they were doing mostly Godzilla movies. And I found it really hard to pay attention. And I think the reason for that is that they were putting them in two-hour blocks. And this movie was, what, like 85 minutes. And after looking oh, yeah, it up, by. I went and looked it up, and they're mostly less than 90 minutes. Godzilla Raids Again is like 81. Abira, Horror of the Deep, is like 87. Son of Godzilla is 86. Um, All Monsters Attack is 69 minutes long. Right. Hell yeah. Yep. Beautiful runtime. Godzilla versus Megalon <laughs> is eighty one. Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla is eighty four. All of these movies, whenever you add commercial breaks to them in order to put them in a two hour programming block, it makes it breaks up the flow really bad. It's not like you're putting a ninety eight minute movie into a hundred and twenty minute block. You're talking about an eighty minute movie into a hundred and twenty minute block. That's like half of the, you know, a third of the runtime uh, of that block is mostly commercial. So that's like a worse ratio than than anything else on television, except maybe the match game. 
And <laughs> I, I think that that has probably been why I had such a hard time getting into them. Because if you watch like 10 minutes and there's a five minute commercial break, and of course we're talking about something that you get with an antenna. So it's like, you know, hip replacements and surgical meshes. And, you know, you're entitled to compensation if you got emphysema and you ever worked in a building that had asbestos, even if you smoke. When we're talking about that breaking up your Godzilla movie every 10 minutes, of course, it was hard for me to get into because I loved this. That um, speaks to me as a wrestling fan, too, like watching wrestling broadcasts where they go to commercial break and then come back and the same match is still happening. It makes you feel like this has been going on forever. And I can especially see the last like 15 minutes of this where it's just Hedera and Godzilla wrestling um, before the Hedera starts getting shocked by the military. Um, I could see that just like lasting forever on a television broadcast when thankfully it's a very small portion of the film. Cause it's probably the least exciting stretch. Yeah. Do you have any like favorite moments or gimmicks in the film? Because there's a lot of stuff it throws at you. So there's a lot of stuff to single out. I, I'd l- I want to talk about the animation. I want to talk oh, about yeah. the surreality, a lot of it. The, the talking heads demanding government mm-hmm. action is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. But if we're talking about just like set pieces, I love I love Hedora flying around and just gassing everybody. Just fucking, <laughs> I'm going to gas all of Japan. And, you know, people falling in the streets. And it's weird because this is clearly from the whole Godzilla friend to children era, right? Godzilla's not a rampaging monster that you have to use the oxygen destroyer on or whatever. He's a friend to to the children. And yet in this movie, Hedora like reduces people to skeletons. Like it's it's pretty intense, especially for a child. Yeah, and even if you survive that, there's some horrific scarring that's like very, you mm-hmm. know, Hiroshima um and really traumatizing um, gore for a movie, you know, that should just be rubber monster suits bumping up against each other. You mentioned the pattern when we were talking about Return to Oz of chicken movies. I'll say that this movie fits the second uh, movie in a row that we've done for these minisodes in which people are having a psychedelic experience that's mostly ink blots projected on a screen. Oh, yeah, I thought about that as well. Uh, there, there's a really groovy nightclub there at uh, where <laughs> one of the main characters is drinking his sorrows away while his hip-as-fuck girlfriend is dancing on the bar, and she's wearing a psychedelic pattern that looks like an ink blot as well. All that stuff's being projected on the screen. And then he starts hallucinating that everyone in the club is wearing fish masks. Yeah. I loved that i was like man i want to be there my life feels so lame right now compared to this but then the nightclub is in like a basement area and all that sludge started seeping down there and you start to realize there's no exits like they're all kind of trapped in there so if something really bad did happen i don't know a dangerous place to be no matter how cool the fish are i've been in bars like that yeah i, was I think we say. all yeah. have i mean snake and jakes is technically above ground but i don't think i could get out of there if there were a fire I don't believe Snake and Jake's exists um, except between the hours of three and five a.m. That <laughs> is probably just, like, very true. <laughs> it's not the witching hour; it's the coke of the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fish masks were a lot of fun. There's so much of this movie that happens in the metaphor, which I think is uh, one of its major strengths. That not everything is literal, and. I know that this might actually shock you, Brandon, to hear me praising that, but I loved it in this where, you know, a lot of it is just, what is life? 
what is beyond the stars? Could there be tadpoles made of carbon, you know, elsewhere in the world? I'm going to sing a song about cadmium now. Like, I really oh, so good. loved everywhere that this went. And, you know, yeah, that break from reality stuff does speak to me directly. But the movie does have a lot of, like, science experiment and science observation that I thought might appeal to you as well. Like, when they're trying to figure out how hetero works as that tadpole. And, like, they start allowing it to combine in the beakers and things like that. There is kind of, like, a gradual process to explaining it instead of just allowing it to emerge fully formed. Yeah, you're right. There, they A lot of time is spent doing experimentation, and I did appreciate that. You're spot on, Brandon. Because, <laughs> yeah, I loved watching the tadpoles merge together. I loved, like, the test where it's like, oh, if it dries out into this, like, sort of charcoal-looking tadpole then those individual cells could them once again become tadpoles, although they'll reunite again. And there was just something about the, the murky water and the like actual fish tank that they had in there. It made it seemed very lived in. Like I, I kind of could tell a lot about this family and their life from very little actual like exposition. The sort of surly scientist and his like, hippie son-in-law or older son i could uh, uh brother i, I think, think this is younger brother oh yes it's his little brother that's right my bad that age difference is pretty drastic so <laughs> i keep trying to like make it work in my head i like that the hippie brother um is also surly in his own way like while everyone's having fun in the nightclub he's sort of drinking his sorrows and then his response to hetera coming to destroy everything is not calling on Godzilla to save the day. It's throwing a giant end of the world party for all his hippie friends. Yeah. He's just like, well, I guess we're all going to die. Let's like have fun on the mountain. Let's have a go-go bash. I like the nihilism of that. I love any time where someone just parties on a sinking ship. Like I, I really identify with that kind of <laughs> attitude because I don't know what else to do either. And I feel like the world is still ending half a century later. I think, you know, that's also it is. the New Orleans way. It's party on a sinking ship. Oh, yeah. We are built on mush. The city will not exist in 200 years, no matter how the rest of the world goes. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought the um, science stuff specifically would appeal to Boomer. I know it would appeal to both of you, but also the Haosu vibes was where I thought Allie's crossover would be. Um, I don't know how to define what that similarity is. Yeah. I hate to be the person who says stuff like this because I think it is a reductionist view of an entire country's culture. But it was so Japanese. Just that idea of just being that weird narratively. I mean, I don't know how many like modern sort of weird surreal Japanese comedies y'all have watched, but <laughs> it's it's like a very specific thing to say. But I'm in a specific crowd. It just they feel that way. They throw a lot of things at you and it's such a long tradition of narratively just take the whole bucket and pour it on. And I love that. Just go for it. Yeah, it's like not just that Haosu would have been influenced by this. They just feel of the same culture. Yes, like, definitely. I watched this movie last year called We Are Little Zombies that probably was like my favorite you know, wide release last year. And it feels in this like sort of eccentric cartoon tradition. And, you know, there's also Funeral Parade of Roses, which predates both Haosu and this film that has that same 
sort of ramshackle psychedelia to it, but that one's in black and white, so it's missing sort of like technicolor, like eye searingness of this. Yeah. But for some reason, I really just Houseu is like the one title that jumps out at me while I'm watching this, and it might just be the like multimedia aspect of it. I think that doesn't hurt, and also all the skeletons. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of like '60s kitsch skeletons that uh, even by the '70s would have looked like really ridiculous to put in a movie, and it's kind of um, I don't know, it's like a fun Roger Corman throwback in the middle of this like modern psychedelic film. I'm going to have to rewatch Haosu because I do love it, but I wasn't getting the Haosu vibes in this. So. Oh, okay. But I see what you're saying. It just didn't, I didn't feel that in my soul while I was watching it the way that uh, y'all did. So I'm going to have to rewatch Haosu. I, I need an excuse anyway. I need it as well. I haven't seen it in a few years, so maybe I'm like exaggerating the similarities. But I also have to say that I loved this science family and all the sciencyness to it. I like many children of the 90s who watched like PBS and Animal Planet wanted to be a marine biologist as a kid and like have this lifelong like fascination with that sort of science. And yeah, just like the idea of this dad being a fish re- researcher and that being like a skill that saves the day. Love it. Also, I love the fashion in this movie. Every time there was, like, a new outfit, I was like, I want to wear that and that. And I kind of realized that above every other adorable 60s mod, like, 70s-tastic outfit that the hip girlfriend wears, I just really want to dress like a little Japanese boy from the 70s. Guys, can I just (laughs) say that? It's like every outfit this kid wore, I was like, I love that. That is so good. His little shorts that are barely not just a diaper. Yes! They're like, they barely cover just his butt and not, like none of his legs. And those little like flat brim um, baseball caps and everything else. Very cute. Yes, exactly. Like that's how I want to dress. <laughs> that's going to be my, my 2021 goal now. I love that there's also like a lot of Americana in the way that the hippie older son is dressed. Um, he looks like he's out of an Archie comic for a lot of the film. Yeah, he's There's wearing like, like a, a, letter, a, ba- a baseball Letterman jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a weird choice, but I love it. It's just this time capsule of an era where it's just... I, every time I watch kitschy films from the 70s, I just go down a rabbit hole of appreciating everybody's outfits everywhere. I do want to circle back around on the animated segments. Apparently, and... You know, I know that I'm probably a bad film man for this, but every once in a while, you know, whenever I finish watching something, I immediately go to the TV tropes page because it kind of helps me between that and like uh, if something's more current, Twitter helps me gauge just how toxic the discourse, uh, the participants in the discourse around a movie are so I can determine if I want to participate in that discourse, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, that makes 100% sense. Or like the IMDb message boards. That's where oh, you find some credence no. as well. Oh, no, Brandon. The IMDb message boards are gone. Oh, oh they're gone? Thank oh, God. They're a thing of the past. <laughs> the, the evil has been defeated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of hell pits. I, I guess that they got rid of the IMDb discussion boards because you know there's already parlay and reddit so why duplicate those two spaces maybe i should update that 
criteria to the Rotten Tomatoes user reviews. Those are pretty bad as well. Oh, no. Oh, I I don't know. I just I try to stay yeah. away. <laughs> I was going to say, you were entering dangerous territory. <laughs> I just want to point out that the, um, the TV Tropes page for Godzilla vs. Ghidorah, there's an awful lot of people, you know, in the not on the main page, complaining about the animated segments as well as my favorite segment which i mentioned before which is everyone you know in these different like it, uh, at first there's like one talking head and then two and then four until and then it multiplies until there's like two or three dozen talking heads all in different colors you know crying out for the government to do something about hedora and you know what is going to happen now and questioning whether or not it's already too late, right? And that was my favorite sequence in the movie because I thought it was really imaginative in the way that it portrayed sort of the cacophony of confusion among the general public whenever it comes to some sort of disaster. There's some evocative imagery mixed in there as well because it's not just people talking. There's also, in that Brady Bunch grid, this like baby that's submerged in the hetero sludge crying. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. it's added to the noise. It starts off kind of, I don't want to say a funny image. We're like, whoa, that's very weird. And then the more you see it, the more horrifying it is because it keeps repeating among all the like talking heads. It's not like a lazy um, setup at all. Like they really like push how weird they can make that segment even. Yeah. I also really enjoyed that segment and every single animated second segment i was just like oh this is perfect this is just perfect oh, they're so good i shamelessly love hedora like hedora is just a fantastic sludge monster i don't know especially in illustration form though i'm just like look at that i have friend. to respect any monster that's just made out of filth I yeah mean. right <laughs> I, I feel like i, I relate yeah exactly and the movie kind of has fun um, humanizing it as well when it's um, smoking the smokestacks as if it was kind of a bong. Yes! Like, it's kind of it's like pretty much overt yeah. reference to like, marijuana consumption. Yeah. I do want to point out that Hedora does appear to be stoned. He has the reddest <laughs> eyes you've ever seen. Oh, yes. <laughs> and his eyes are cocked the wrong way. <laughs> so yeah. You're like, what's going on with his brain? <laughs> You know, I love the the twinkle effect whenever he transforms between his different forms. I love how much stuff Godzilla is able to pull out of him before he stops. He pulls out what I assume are like his eyeballs, but then he transforms and he has eyeballs again. So I don't know. I assumed it was eggs. Oh, they are kind of egg-like. Like, I assumed he was stopping future Hedoras. Okay, that makes sense. Which humanity will just resupply anyway. Yeah, well, you know. Will there be another one? Only you can stop it. Yeah, uh, I was shocked to discover that a lot of that trash was not staged. That is really what the bay looked like in 1971, which is shocking. Fucking horrifying. I am not shocked by that at all. The 70s was a horrifying trash time. I mean, I'm sure you could go out in the ocean and find a floating island of trash to film today and make it look fucking horrific as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> I really don't mind the obviousness of the politics here because there's nothing like overstepping about it or even like cute. Like it, it actually is fucking disgusting and terrifying. 
even though the actual like fights between Godzilla and Hedera can be cute in the here to children everywhere era of Godzilla way, the source of the problem is as horrifying as um, any Godzilla film, even if the uh, fight that results because of it is cute. I also like you were talking about boxing moves, but he kept like flicking his nose. I was like, is that like a Bruce Lee reference? Oh yeah, I definitely. Couldn't, I couldn't tell, so I couldn't tell if it was like, oh, you got smog up your nose, or are you trying to be Bruce Lee, Godzilla? <laughs> I think it's definitely the Bruce Lee. <laughs> oh okay, I thought maybe that was like a thing that Godzilla did by this point in the franchise that I just didn't know about. You know? No, just the popularity of Bruce Lee, I guess, at the time. I'm glad y'all loved it. I could see it being really grating if you were expecting something a little more, I don't know, serious. I guess. I know this movie was not immediately respected as like a classic when it came out. It was sort of like disregarded as almost like a jumping the shark moment for the franchise. Right. Um, and I could see like if you were really attached to the early like grim warnings and like grief of the original, how this would feel sort of flippant in the time. But I, I mean, by now there's been so many Godzilla movies of so many different flavors and tones it just can't help stand out as like one of the more exceptional examples of the genre to me. Like it really has its own voice. Um, and it does have like a solid political core, even though it does probably some of the more ridiculous in the moment gags of any film in the franchise. I really enjoyed the animated sequence and I really enjoyed the Brady Bunch talking head sequence, right? Those (laughs) I don't really understand why people would be annoyed by. But I will say, if I were like a hardcore Godzilla fan and I really wanted him to be serious, I could see being upset by him rocketing along with his atomic breath. Basically, like <laughs> farting through the sky. It's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I cheer at that moment. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> moment was coming. really good. <laughs> I'm not saying that I don't like it. I'm just saying that I can see not liking it, you know? I just don't think that you should go into a Godzilla movie with expectations other than there's going to be Godzilla. You know? I think that's people's problem. Is like, isn't Godzilla good enough for you people? Come on. I love that the ending fight is just like an opportunity to cheer him on like a superhero or like a pro wrestler. I feel like there's an audience participation aspect to that final fight sequence. He gets knocked down. And you're supposed to be like, come on, you can do it. Get back up and get back in there. Save us all from the yeah. slop monster. Yes. Don't drown in that slop. Oh get my up. gosh. That like slop scene. I was like, Hidora is literally going to drown Godzilla in a sludge pit. Yeah. Looked real gross. Yeah. That killed me. <laughs> I, I was like, no, that's not how this ends. I remember um, some sometime last year, there was a really great tweet that I saw. Oh my God, this is the level of discourse that we're at. There was a great tweet that I saw where this woman had like come downstairs and her husband was like playing a VR game with the headset on, but she could see what he was doing, you know, on the screen, which was that he, in a repetitive motion in their living room, he was like, had a, you know, villain in the game by the head and it was just smashing their head over and over again into like a pole um and she was like oh no should i be worried is this a red flag did i marry a psychopath and i did have that moment at the end of this where i understand 
from a narrative perspective why Godzilla couldn't just kill Hedorah. He had to make sure to destroy every single cell. But there was a moment <laughs> where I was like, oh my God. Godzilla's like a psychopath in this movie. He's he's killed Hedorah, and then Hedorah tries to run away, and he's like, oh no, come back here. I'm not through murdering you yet. And then he like rips Hedorah to pieces, and then rips those pieces into smaller pieces. I was like, holy shit, Godzilla. It's, <laughs> stop, stop. He's already dead. <laughs> He's already dead. <laughs> I mean, the moment where he like, threw a rock into its corpse i was like oh my god <laughs> yes and then whoop. <laughs> if that blood wasn't caustic he probably would have smeared it all over his face and bathed in it <laughs> in victory <laughs> giving himself a little scar like an alien versus predator yeah yes exactly like that <laughs> although you know i have to say like this monster did try to drown godzilla in sludge so you know i respect it I respect that level. Yeah, our anger gets the best of us sometimes. Yeah. We can forgive Godzilla. Did anyone happen to catch Godzilla vs. Kong from this year when it was on HBO Max? I didn't. No, I didn't. I enjoyed it. I mean, I wouldn't. I probably shouldn't speak its name in this episode uh, when we've only mentioned, you know, Shin Godzilla and the original in this at any length. But um, it's fun. It's got. No interesting narrative connective tissue at all, but the battle sequences are really brutal and tactile and uh, have like a sort of like physical weight to them in a way that you wouldn't expect from CGI. And I think that's part of what kicked off, you know, anytime I have any idle time right now and I don't know what to watch, I end up picking another kaiju movie. I I think I could trace it back to that blockbuster coming out. I will say it felt perverse watching it at my house, even though most Godzilla films I've seen have not been in the theater anyway. It just felt like I should have been seeing it on the big screen, but haven't been back to the movies yet, still, despite the pandemic. I guess being over? I think we've all decided it's over somehow, Uh, Um, but I I have not gone back to normal life yet myself. Uh, Yeah, I've heard people are going back to the movies, and I'm like, oh, like I'm jealous of that confidence. Travis County is like 80% at least first dose vaccinated or somewhere in that range. Uh, dear audience, don't take me at my word on that. Make sure to check me and Google that. But it's it's very high. And so a lot of places are no longer enforcing, even here in Austin, where it was very strict because the vaccination rates are pretty high. So I have considered going to the movies. And every time I look, it doesn't seem like there's anything out that I want to see. I wanted to go like for my birthday weekend, but it was the only thing that was out that was new was Spiral, and I wasn't very Oof. interested. Oof. I just feel so out of the loop that anytime I hear about a new movie, I'm like, oh, things are coming out? New things? They're made? It's tough. I 100% would have gone to see Cruella, and I feel um, slight shame about that. <laughs> Everybody's like talking about it. I've been. Everybody's saying good things. It looks really corny in a great way. It does. I'm excited to see it on a library rental a half a year from now whenever I can watch it for free. Like, it's the sort of movie where if I were brave enough, I would go to the second run theater and watch it. But I'm not not going first run on that. With a discount watch. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The only thing, like, my friend and I were looking at things to watch and... 
we're excited about upcoming things like Dune. But he was like, Ye, he's Australian. He's like, Ye, I guess I'm not going to do the accent. I'm, I, I won't try. But <laughs> he's like, A Quiet Place 2 is out. And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah. And the the new Conjuring, I was like, oh, yeah. But I, I there awful. are things coming out later this year. I'm going to admit that the trashy part of me is moderately intrigued by, um, oh, the Forever Purge. I uh, I am a, I admit that I'm, in, I'm moderately intrigued by the Forever Purge. You know, I've only watched one Purge movie, and it was the last one that came out. The last one called the First Purge. The First Purge. Yeah. And you know what? It was fantastic. It was great. I have only ever heard good things about those movies, so I will not look down upon you. Yeah, no judgment here. We are all Hidoras in this podcast <laughs> in our own way. Well, speaking of new movies, uh, our next episode, we're watching movies that came out in 2021 for that exact reason, where I was just like, I don't know what has come out this year so far. We're halfway through the calendar that people are actually excited about. So. The four of us on the next week's episode have picked out a movie, a piece to discuss as like best of the year so far material. Godzilla vs. Kong did not make the cut, but I'll stand by that <laughs> pick as well. What movies will we all be discussing? Yeah, I want to know. What even or is at least, wh- I want to know what your picks are, at least, if you don't know anybody else's. <laughs> Mine was Lapsus, which I just watched recently, and it's free on Canopy right now. Really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's kind of like a sorry to bother you type satire not quite as like haha funny, but um, it's making fun of the gig economy dystopia that we live in now, where everything is just fake. Mm. No jobs are real. Everything is subcontracted out. Companies get richer and don't take care of their people. This turns up the absurdity just a slight degree to make it like mildly futuristic and dystopian, but everything else just rings true uh, in like the worst way. That one's called Lapsus. And then the main topic, um, Hannah picked the new Bo Burnham comedy special, uh, Bo oh, Burnham Inside. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a lot to talk about what that means as a movie and uh, how it relates to, you know, why nothing else is really standing out right now. I feel like kind of cuts through why nothing is connecting with anyone. So I don't know. Lots to talk about. Do y'all have like a favorite movie of the year so far? I don't, I don't really know what the temperature is. I don't know if I've even watched anything that came out this year. That was kind of the vibe I was getting, yeah. <laughs> the people have no idea what even came out. I mean, I could look it up. I'm sure I've accidentally watched something, but I have no idea what. <laughs> the best movie that I have seen this year is the Snyder Cut, so no. Oh my oh god. god. I am excited about some things. I am excited about Dune. I am excited about um, The Green Knight. That looks great. Yeah, the Green Knight. Uh huh. The Don't Breathe sequel is coming out. Um, in case you weren't aware of that, I and hated the original, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but if you recall, I enjoyed it. And then, uh, okay. <laughs> and there's going to be a, a long delayed Kingsman prequel called The King's Man, which is like a period piece about. And I also love those movies. I know that not everyone is a fan. But I enjoy them quite a lot. Does Lucky count? The one we did for the podcast? I was going to say Lucky is... Yeah, we I all think that might it. be the only one that I've watched. <laughs> and I made you watch it. <laughs> yeah, well, I liked it, though. So Yeah, yeah. I'd also throw out some uh, 
shout outs for uh, St. Maud and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Those are pretty substantial. I watched Slacks. I hated Slacks. I enjoyed it in a lot of ways, but it was not great. Um, so I think those are the two <laughs> that I have watched this year. Lucky and Slacks. I guess Things Heard and Seen. I enjoyed that quite a lot. It got some negative reviews, but it's in that same arena of just like, man, y'all really, really don't, y'all need everything just to be really spoon fed to you, don't you? It was one of those things where it's like, yeah, of course the ending doesn't make sense if you can't, if you have no imagination, but I, I would say things heard and seen was pretty good. I know Brittany enjoyed the other like much hated Netflix movie from this year. Uh, the woman in the window as well. Uh, those oh, like with Amy Adams? Yeah. Hmm. I never watched it. <laughs> it looked suspect. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was kind of bringing up that subject just because I know the year's halfway over and I could see this becoming kind of a panic in December. Like, no one watched any new movies. Should we even do like a best of the year roundup? Which, you know, a discussion we can have later. Best of the year uh, home improvement roundup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, ready, everybody. Here's my top four. The hole I created in my floor that I don't know how to fix now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make the bottom <laughs> of my list. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll be back with that new movies roundup next week. And I'll obviously be sending around a list of movies to stream to everyone else so that we can um, uh, get our act together before the year wraps up much sooner than we think. Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye, listener. Don't take serious me We civilizations take over They take you up, take you up, take you up the earth In motherfucking nature Don't act your curious mate We alienations take over They take you up, take you up, take you all the time Sucks hard like a diamond